You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we turn to anything else, we turn to the Word of God. I want to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, and we will read together just a few verses to conclude chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, every word that you have given us in your word is precious to us. And precious to us this day are the words assigned to us, even the words we've just read and those that will follow. But we are here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, the word of life. Father, we pray this morning that Christ will be glorified and that Christ's church will be edified by the preaching of his word. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Mary and I are thrilled to be here this Lord's Day at Sojourn here in Midtown. We feel like neighbors. Uh, we're at Third Avenue Baptist Church. It's very close. And uh, that, that leads me to just want to say again how thrilled I am in the work of God in so many churches in the city of Louisville. And I, uh, well, you don't have to walk into this room to know there's a story here, and it's to the delight of, uh, of believers and to the glory of God. And just looking out of the room, filled a second time on a Sunday morning, this is God's grace and God's glory. And I'm so thankful for the work and witness of Sojourn right here and uh, elsewhere, but beginning right here, I just want to thank you for who you are, for your steadfastness in the gospel, for your love for the city of Louisville, uh, and for your love for each other that is so tangible. It's an honor for Mary and I to be here uh, with Jamal Williams. I'm just so thankful for his ministry here, and Jamal and Amber, I want to thank you. Thank you for your, your giftedness to the city of Louisville. And I'm proud to claim you twice. You're a two-time graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, so you have the double blessing. And, uh, and then I look out around, and I'm proud to see members of the Southern Seminary faculty here, Timothy Paul Jones I see here, and Jarvis Williams, and uh, Barry Joslin I saw doing what I rarely get to see Barry Joslin doing uh, in the, the worship leadership and uh, I look around, I see so many friends, Robert and Karen Chong, friends for so long, we got to raise our children together. And yeah, the older I get, the sweeter relationships like that become uh, over time. So you'll forgive me, that's what happens when you get older, you have more people to say thank you to. <laughs> and uh, you just feel like you want to say that over and over again. And I thank God for you 
and for the fact that you're here, and for the fact that we get to encounter God's Word together. We get to hear the one true and living God speak through His Word. What an amazing thing that is. People passing around us would understand probably the rest of the service better than this. Why would you want to listen to someone talk about a 2,000-year-old book? It's because it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We began reading those last verses from Matthew chapter 9. And the very fact that we read them as we did reminds us that we are in the middle of something. By the time we get to this text, there are almost nine chapters of Matthew behind us, and there are many chapters of Matthew before us. One of the amazing things about the Gospel of Matthew is how actually briefly we are introduced to the ministry of Jesus by the time we reach Matthew chapter 9. In terms of a a span of time covered, there there is so much yet to happen. The, The cross and the resurrection well into the future and the Gospel of Matthew by the time we are here at Matthew chapter 9. And, and, and that is all coming, and we know it. But it's good for us to go back and to look at a text like this and remember how it flows in the sequence of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 4. Just looking back quickly to Matthew chapter 4, we, we look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the, from that time is a, is, is a break. It's an indication that there's a, there's a new storyline coming. Jesus, in this case, has basically begun his public ministry, and, and this is how it is summarized as Jesus preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then very quickly, Jesus begins his public teaching ministry with the Sermon on the Mount. And then we come to the, to the proximate verses to us. And you'll notice that after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins his ministry of, of miraculous works and healings. Matthew chapter 8, it begins with Jesus cleansing a leper. And, and, and then just a few verses later, it's uh, Jesus healing several, especially in the house of, of Peter, and, or Simon, as he would be known then. And, and, and then as you continue through, you begin to see Jesus calming a storm, demonstrating his lordship over all of nature. And then Jesus heals two demon-possessed men. And chapter 9 begins, he heals a paralytic By the time you get down just a few verses into Matthew chapter 9, there's a girl who is restored to life and a woman healed in the most remarkable way. Two blind men are given their sight, and a man unable to speak is given the gift of speech, and then we arrive at the text where we read, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But there's something we need to note here. The preceding verse, just before we begin, begins with a but. But the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. There's there's opposition to Jesus, and and it's, it's clear. Now, the verse before is also very interesting. The crowds marveled, saying, never was 
anything like this seen in Israel. So that, that, that's messianic expectation. People are beginning to connect the dots. Could this be the Messiah? Nothing like this has ever been seen. By the time you get later in the Gospel of Matthew, people are beginning to ask openly, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? But at this point, it's just beginning. But already what is beginning is the active opposition to Jesus, the Pharisees who are represented here. And that's why I want to draw your attention to the conjunction and that began our passage. When you look at John, excuse me, at Matthew chapter 9, I'm teaching John at Third Avenue Baptist Church. John's going to come out somewhere here. In the Gospel of Matthew, you look at chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went out, went throughout all the cities and villages, and the, these conjunctions are important. I, I came to see that very clearly in this text. It also shows up in chapter 10, verse 1, and because if I were telling this, I might put a but there rather than an and. After Jesus faces opposition, after the Pharisees said he casts out demons only in the name of Beelzebub, they'll try that again later in the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus will absolutely respond to them and put them away by saying, that is the most idiotic argument I have ever heard. That's, that's my paraphrase of what Jesus said. What he, what he actually said was, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It, it, that, that's idiocy. It's desperation. But I, I think in terms personally, if I'm honest, where if someone tells me there is opposition, then it seems kind of the natural response to say, but I'm going to preach anyway, but I'm going to minister anyway, but I'm going to heal anyway. But it's just and, and it's twice. So, so notice this, this is it's just a sign to me of God's sovereign purpose, undeterred by any human plan, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So what's the gospel here in, in Matthew chapter 9? It, it, we, ha we have to recognize that in the flow of the gospel of Matthew, we aren't to the cross. We're not to the resurrection. We are not to Matthew chapter 16. We're not to the church. Peter has not yet confessed, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus has not yet declared upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus has not yet said, I am headed to the cross to have Peter say, no, that's not a good plan. And Jesus say, get thee behind me, Satan. That hasn't happened yet, but it's coming and we sense it's coming and we know it's coming. And, and, and when we think of the gospel, we rightly think of the gospel of the cross and the empty tomb, the gospel of the good news of how sinners can come to salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We naturally think of that summary from the gospel of John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But where Jesus is, the kingdom is, where the kingdom is, the gospel is, and this is the gospel of the kingdom. And, it, and it's evidenced by, look at what it, we're told here. Jesus is healing every disease and every affliction. This, this is part of the promise of Christ's lordship of the kingdom that he will bring. In his kingdom, there will be healing. In his kingdom, there will be restoration. In his kingdom, there will be full flourishing. In his kingdom, there will be no blind, no deaf, no lame, no sick. 
no dead. And where you find a gospel church, you see the signs of that kingdom. And, and you see that kingdom becoming more visible. So interesting here. It's, it's hard to get very far in this passage because every single word demands our attention. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, as you see here in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. <clears throat> In my own personal devotional life, I turned to both Scripture and for many, many years, the, uh, the Book of Common Prayer. I'm not Episcopalian, I'm not Anglican, but you can't really understand the Reformation as it took place in England without understanding the, the Book of Common Prayer. It's so rich with Scripture. And also, I, I need help. I need help figuring out what kind of words to use when I pray. I, I really never feel more inarticulate than when I try to pray, especially alone. And, and a part of the power of the Book of Common Prayer, Thomas Cranmer, was he used uh, protaxis. The, it's this and that, this and that, this and that. And, and he uses alliteration. And this, this gets down to the most beautiful prayer, I think, of the Book of Common Prayer a prayer of confession, it, it speaks of our sin and following the desires and devices of our hearts. Isn't that, I mean, the devices of our hearts, yeah, we follow that all the time, desires and devices. And, and, and you know, the D and D, that, that, that's one of the reasons why that Book of Common Prayer got so deeply embedded in the hearts of people and why, by the way, you know a lot more of it than you think you know. Because just about every wedding service you've ever heard and every funeral you've ever heard at any other formal occasion you've ever heard, that's what you're hearing. But notice it's right here in Scripture. It's right here in, this, in the English Standard Version. It's right here in this, this text, rightly translated. What about these sheep? They are harassed and helpless. It's bad enough to be harassed. But the sheep are not only harassed, they're helpless. Jesus had compassion for them. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There's that alliteration again, sheep without a shepherd. It's bad enough to be a sheep. It's horrible to be a sheep without a shepherd. Preachers sometimes over-preach the sheep thing because it's such a thing. And the closer you look at it, the more obvious it is. I recognized a long time ago that sheep are very attractive at a distance. <laughs> and uh, there are all kinds of lessons we're to learn by being called sheep. But I think the main theme throughout Scripture is twofold when it comes to sheep. That number one, sheep are the most vulnerable animal imaginable. Absolutely vulnerable, absolutely helpless. And so that's, that's who we are, brothers and sisters. We're, we're just absolutely helpless. We are sheep. And the second thing is, is that, that sheep have no direction. They just don't. Sheep just go from one blade of grass to the next, right off a cliff. 
And, and we need a shepherd. We desperately need a shepherd. The, the church needs, would, would not exist and could not survive without the good shepherd of the sheep. Jesus identifies himself in just that way. I am the good shepherd. And, and the church, local congregations, cannot exist, can't thrive, can't survive without under-shepherds. And that means every single one of us, by the way, even those who are called to be shepherds, we need shepherds. Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As, as president of the seminary, one of the responsibilities that falls to me is to preach commencement services. I, I've done 50 plus. It's glorious. It's, it's, it's also heavy. It's uh, far more emotional than I knew it would be. Even thinking of trying to offer scriptural words and exhortation to graduates, I just, you know, I may never see them again. They, they, they may die as martyrs somewhere. They, they, they may go in ministry and never return. We have grown to know them and to love them, and now we send them out. If I, if, if, if I believe we're sending them out as sheep without a shepherd, I couldn't do it. But we are sending them out as sheep and under-shepherds who have a shepherd. But the urgency of this text, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Labors are few. So Jesus says the answer is prayer. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And the next word is and, not a but, and. So again, there it is again. It just follows. And what, 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 what does he say we're to do? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What does he immediately do? He sends out laborers into the harvest. That's what he does immediately. And that's what he does. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, it's interesting, all three of the Synoptic Gospels have lists of the disciples, and in every one of them, Peter is the first mentioned, and in every one of them, Judas Iscariot is the last mentioned. Peter, obviously, is recognized for leadership amongst the, the disciples and the apostles, but perhaps also because he will be the first human being to confess, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the Gospels, we are already told that Jesus will be betrayed, and that it is Judas Iscariot who will betray him. But there's also something else in here, and, and it's easy to miss, and, and it's just in a couple of verses. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and then look at the next verse. The names of the 12 apostles are these. A disciple's one who's taught, an apostle's one who is sent. This is the first and the only time Apostle is used in the Gospel of Matthew. And of course, there's an apostolic office, there's an apostolic role played by those in the, in the early church who were known as the apostles. Many are disciples, few are apostles, but the 12 
are identified here not only as disciples, but in the very next verse as apostles. And Jesus is about to send them out. And remember, Jesus said that we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out. And, and that's what he does. He, he, he does that immediately in the, in the next words. That's what Jesus is doing in this missionary assignment that he's giving to the apostles. So we see the the gospel of the kingdom declared, the need for workers described. And then we see Jesus doing this by calling the disciples and then sending them out. The very next verse, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now wait just a minute. Seriously? It's really interesting here that in Matthew chapter 10, we are confronted with Jesus sending out the apostles, and he tells them specifically where not to go and to whom not to preach. Very bad commencement message. I've never preached that way. And again, it's because, it's because our commission is at the end of the book of Matthew. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. This is Jesus who on that day he ascended said, you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and Judea and and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, And so it's a to everywhere and everyone that is our assignment, but not yet, not at this point in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, The the first thing is the priority of, of sending out the apostles to the lost sheep of Israel. And and this is where we are right now in the gospel of Matthew. And and we need to look at it very clearly. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, nowhere, And, and enter no town of the Samaritans, not one, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These are the same harassed and helpless sheep. Jesus says, go to them. Go to them first and and, and proclaim as you go. As you see here, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, You received without paying, give without pay, acquire no gold nor silver nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborers, the labor deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Absolutely shocking language. You're supposed to be shocked. You're supposed to be appalled. It's like the breath has been knocked out of you if you understand what Jesus is saying here. But we have to go back in the text. First of all, they are to proclaim, they're to preach as they go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, it's here, it's here. Oh, what you've been praying for is here. You've been praying for the Messiah to come. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's, it's here. Can you imagine going to the lost sheep of Israel, helpless, and, and, and going to them 
harassed as they are and say, I've got good news for you. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And, and then as signs of the kingdom in this apostolic ministry, heal the sick. This is what he's been doing. You notice, that's why I went back even to the, the, the two previous chapters, chapters 8 and 9. This is what Jesus has been doing. Do it, he says. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. It's, it's the order in which he did it. Do that. Well, is that what we're called to do? Well, again, this is not our sending. This is the sending of the disciples, now the apostles. They're being sent out to the harassed and helpless lost sheep of Israel. This is, this is a necessary stage in the ministry of Jesus. This is part of what will be important in understanding what takes Jesus to the cross. But for the vast majority of us, I look around this room, this isn't about us yet. It will be. It's not yet. And, and, and this was a series of, of special gifts given to the apostles to do the healing, to do the, the cleansing, to do the casting out, as signs of the fact that the kingdom is at hand. Israel had been told to look for those signs. These weren't just gimmicks. They weren't just power displays. This isn't power evangelism. This is biblical fulfillment. This is, what, this is what Israel was taught to look for when the Messiah comes. Okay, you've been praying for the Messiah. This is what you said you were looking for. This is what you were taught to look for. And this is what you now see. Other instructions, you received without paying, give without pay. This is not prosperity theology, brothers and sisters. The apostles were not to get rich from this. They, they weren't even to take much in terms of supplies. They weren't to pack a bag. They weren't to take an extra tunic. They're not even to take an extra pair of sandals. You might think that would be wise. Jesus said, no, this is as, as a sign of not so much the austerity of your calling, but the single-mindedness of your calling. Don't take any of that with you. Not even a staff. You deserve food. Take food. Receive food. It is really interesting. This acquire no silver or gold nor copper for your belts. Now, I know there's a background to that just in terms of the acquisition of it, but I've, it's just never an exhortation I've ever had to give. You know, young man, you're being sent out to ministry, and I don't want to see any new copper on that belt. <laughs> and no, but it, it, in the context, you understand exactly what's going on. This is not about you being blessed. It's about the single-mindedness of you being a blessing. This ministry's quick. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a ministry of proclaiming the kingdom. And then there's strange language, and this is a, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. What, what does that look like? When you enter a town, find out if there's anyone worthy in it. And, and then worthy shows up again. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. What does worthy mean here? Well, I think our first thought is, just reading an English translation, we're going to think, well, maybe this is um, theologically worthy. You need somebody who's well-versed in the Old Testament and is worthy to hear this message, to be able to connect the dots and be able to say, yep, this is the Messiah, sure enough. Thank you so much for that equation. Or, I think even more likely, we're going to think this means morally worthy. We are not going to preach the gospel to riffraff, and we're certainly not staying in their houses. But it can't mean that either. That's what Jesus does. And, and besides that, it just doesn't even make any sense. No, it's clear that worthy here means receptive to the gospel. That, that's what it means. It's, it's receptive to the gospel. When you come to a town and you preach the message of the kingdom and, uh, and, and people receive it, guess what? That town is worthy. That, that, that's what makes the distinction. That town is worthy because when the gospel is preached, it is heard. And it comes right down to a house. The house is worthy of the people in it. Uh, respond. The person is worthy if that person responds to the gospel of Christ and receives the good news of the kingdom that is at hand. That, that then it all begins to make sense. But if there be a place where no one is worthy and no house is worthy, then shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that house or town. Uh, I, I've had friends who've done that in ministry. They've had a bad experience in ministry and they uh, they leave town and shake the dust off their shoes as they leave. I know one guy who actually took off his shoes. I don't know how much dust was there on, but nonetheless, he shook it. I was talking to someone the other day. He told me about a guy who had had nine churches in 20 years. Guess what? They're not rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting you. Maybe you are the problem. <laughs> if you've been through, I, I realize that there are churches that reject the gospel. There are, there, are, there are places unworthy of the gospel and that they will not receive it. But if that's your testimony nine times, maybe it's not the gospel that is the problem and it's not being received. Maybe it's you. But in this case, it's the disciples are just told, look, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's, it's not about you. It's not about you with the silver and the gold and the copper. It's not about you with the tunic and the sandals. It's not about you with anything. It's, it's, it's all about the gospel. And, and you're going to find out who's worthy by They're going to respond to the gospel, town, house, person. And then if no one is, then shake the dust off your feet because it wasn't ever about you. But it is all about the gospel, and it's about the kingdom, and it's about the king. And then an amazing statement as you look there at verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. How, how could that be? You've read Genesis. You know about the utter destruction of Sodom and, and Gomorrah, utter destruction, so much so that we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah today. It, 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 why? Because they symbolize God's 
horrifying judgment. So horrifying that the towns and the people in them were just obliterated. What could be worse than that? Who, what, what towns? Just think about this. Who as a town, what town could have a worse reputation than Sodom and Gomorrah? One that rejects Christ. One that rejects the gospel in which no one will hear the gospel. It will be worse for those towns. And in Israel, in Israel, it will be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in conclusion, in the text assigned, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. When I was in high school, the draft came to an end. The Vietnam War, in all of its, all of its memory, it came to a halt with the American withdrawal, an exhausted nation, ended the military draft. No longer would young men at the age of 18 have to register for the draft. From that point onward, the United States had an entirely volunteer military. We do it until today. And I'm thankful for every man and woman who wears that uniform and bears that responsibility for us. But not one of them has been drafted. Every one of them has joined. So I was in high school at the very time the military was having to figure out for the first time how to recruit people. And the most notorious was the United States Navy. They had the best posters. The Navy, an adventure. Join the Navy, see the world. I can still remember my high school, the hallways, they had these Navy posters. They were like palm trees in Tahiti beautiful South Sea Islands, see the world. They did not show swabbing a toilet in a nuclear submarine, which is what recruits actually did. I'm not offering any slander to the Navy. Again, I'm thankful for the Navy in every way I know, but you know what? Picture of a guy swabbing a toilet in a nuclear sub is not a good recruiting poster but it is life, and it is what you do. Jesus does not offer unto his disciples, now apostles, he sends them out any recruiting poster. There are no palm trees. There are no South Sea Islands. There is the warning, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, here, here, here's what you're signing up for. When I said, come follow me, and you came, and I'm now sending you out, let's be really clear what's going on here. You're going to be hated. You're going to be loathed. You're going to be persecuted. Bon voyage. But, but this, is, this is what we do. And you know what? In, in, in what possible world or worldview would it make sense to receive that and say, I'm signing up? To hear Jesus say, come follow me, and you follow. It's because the kingdom of God is at hand. The Lord Jesus Christ has called these disciples unto himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ is sending them out. And they don't hate us because of us, not if we're faithful. What Jesus is talking about is that they hate us because they hated him. The servant is not greater than his master. Why did you think if they hated me, they were going to love you? That, by the way, should be a, somebody should write a systematic work on the Christian ministry. Just asking that. If they hated me, why did you think they were going to love you? But notice what else we passed over, because remember, we talked about the fact that at this stage in the Gospel of Matthew, and insofar as the disciples understand what's going on, and, and following the flow of what's happening here, Jesus tells them where to go, but he also tells them where not to go. He tells them to whom to proclaim the kingdom, and he tells them to whom they will not proclaim the kingdom. And he says, you're not going to proclaim the kingdom to the Gentiles, and yet right here he's telling them they're going to. Not now, not yet. But, but these same apostles, they're going to do exactly what Jesus says they're going to do here. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. There's so much here. And we are in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. You've been taught and have already heard so much, and so much will follow. And the passage that we just considered today is kind of a hinge between the what's already happened and what's about to happen. The lessons for us are massive. The gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the messianic age has dawned. And soon Christ will establish his church. And then he will send his church after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he's accomplished all that is necessary for our atonement, after his resurrection, when God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, he will send his church out to go everywhere and proclaim the gospel to everyone. But woe unto us if we think that we will be treated better than the disciples when they were sent to the helpless and harassed lost sheep of Israel. But we go anyway, and with gladness we tell. And we see what the king does as he builds his kingdom. Look around you. You're seeing it right now. Look around you in the days to come. As you and I and other Christians are faithful, we're going to see it happen right before our eyes. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for every word you've given us. We thank you for these specific words from your word today. Through these words, may your church be conformed to the image of Christ, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.
Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.